it is a great delight to welcome you again. So thank you very much for coming to Royal Leamington Spa this Monday night. Uh, Hills uh, lives with her family in Cheltenham. Uh, she's married to a vicar of um, Holy Trinity in Cheltenham. Uh, a busy mum of four. Uh, Cheltenham is such a lovely, it's a small town as well. I can't see the no. Well, we're one of very few. We're the first. I'm a in my spare time, but we are one of the. We are the first to um, be given that title. So you know, you're in a very special place. And uh, Cheltenham is a very special place. So Ruth and I like the shops, don't we? We've been on a couple of, I guess, two, at least one of the girls we came to your church. It was really very special. And uh, I know that you're very much part of the New Wine Network. And uh, we really look forward to. Thank <laughs> you. 
like that question quite as much. Very familiar verses. You know, I know they'll be familiar to you. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is how Jesus opens his ministry, doesn't it? It's his kind of like manifesto the day he arrives on the national scene, as it were, and he's quoting these words from Isaiah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Very familiar words, and Luke paraphrases them, doesn't he? Luke paraphrases them for us. It's basically Jesus saying, good news, good news, God has come, I have come, and I've come to bless you. That's basically what he's saying. God's favour is here. And I think it's a little bit sad, really, that the church has managed to kind of boil down some of the good news out of the gospel, really. You know, when I, my husband doesn't like me making mild wine at Christmas, because when I have the saucepan on, I tend to let it bubble because I go off and do something else. And you're burning all the alcohol out of the world wine. And I think we do that a bit with, um, you know, with the gospel. I think we've boiled out some of the good news about, you know, the fact that God's favour is upon us now. You know, it's kind of like sometimes I think we reduce it to the fact that, you know, it's about salvation or forgiveness of sins or eternity when we die. And it's all of that, but it's more. It's the fact that the year of God's favour has come and it begins now with the life of Jesus. So there's so much more than just helping our troubles and eternity when we die. And I wonder, you know, so many of us, it's, it's kind of easier, isn't it, when we're sort of off guard, you know, when the subconscious is ticking over. You know, I think it's easier sometimes to believe more in the sort of judgment side of God than in the goodness side of it of his nature, the fact that he longs to show us favour and pour it out upon us. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Good news, Jesus is saying, good news, God wants to bless you. Now this word favour, I don't know what you make of the word favour, I think it's another one of those things that we've kind of watered down a bit. In my household, the word favour is something I used to describe when, you know, I want someone to unload the dishwasher for me, or put the rubbish out, or make me a cup of tea. That's what favour means in my household, I don't know about you. But actually, when Jesus uses this word favour, it means so much more, you know, it's a big word. Just like, so many of the words he uses, they mean so much more than we mean by them, as it were. And favour is defined as this, excessive kindness, Special privileges or preferential treatment. Excessive kindness, special privileges, preferential treatment. Now, I don't know if that's something you're sort of used to associating with yourself. You know, I don't know how many of you can, you know, remember your school days, whether any of you were in a, were in a class where the teacher had a pet and a favourite, you know, because that's where we get our word favourite from. Somebody who gets special privileges or special treatment treated with excessive kindness. And teachers' pets were really annoying things, weren't they? Really annoying people. Okay? They always got the best marks, and the teacher never saw what they did, never tick them off. Really, you know? And uh, you know, if you were a teacher's pet, really sorry. But, <laughs> but that's where the word favourite comes from. And someone who is favoured is shown a level of generosity and a level of goodwill that they don't deserve. You know, we knew that if we were the ones in the class that weren't the teacher's pet. We knew that, you know, whoever it was didn't really deserve the preferential treatment. That's what the word favour means. I want you to imagine a river, a beautiful, wide river that is flowing from the throne of God. Ezekiel talks about a river like that, doesn't he, in um, 40, Ezekiel 47. And that river, it um, depicts it kind of illustrates the goodness and the favour and the blessing of God. Imagine that the river is full of beautifully wrapped gifts, kind of parcel shapes of all different kind of sizes, and those gifts contain everything that you would ever need 
or ever desire. Each one a blessing flowing from the heart of God in this river that flows from his throne. Well, essentially, Jesus is saying, when he says the year of the Lord's favour has come, he's basically saying this river has opened up, you know, from the cross, and all that stuff is in it, and it's flowing your way. It's a river of grace. And he gives some examples. I've read them out in Isaiah about what these blessings look like, what's in the parcels. So there's freedom, and there's healing, and there's joy, and there's comfort, and there's life for those who've lost it. There's joy for those of us that are full of shame. There's forgiveness, there's release for the, from the captives, that, for those of us that feel trapped. There is so much in that river, more than we could ever imagine. <laughs> And those blessings, this favour comes to us in all different kind of shapes and sizes. And, uh, you know, it, those parcels are flowing our way. So much so that later on in, in Isaiah chapter 61, in verse 9, there is this fantastic verse that says um, that, that my people, sorry, verse 7, they will inherit a double portion in their land. My people will receive double portion. Now I don't know what you're like when you when you go out or when you're at a friend's house and you know she offers you dessert or the restaurant offers you dessert. You know these days one portion of you know chocolate cheesecake or you know strawberry pavlova meringue or whatever your favourite is or creme brulee you know fill in the blank one portion is enough. In my case it's more than enough. God say is going to be a double portion for my people. And a double portion is more, you know, more than we can eat. It, it depicts, doesn't it? It's a picture of extravagant, unnecessary generosity. My people will receive a double portion. And what's more, the blessings that are in this river, the stuff that flows from the heart of God in our direction is visible and tangible. I'm going to read you verse 9. <clears throat> this is what Isaiah is prophesying about the people of God once they start living in the favour of the Lord. He's prophesying, he says this, their descendants, that's you and me, and those of us that are in Christ, will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them I think this is really challenging. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. Now that's pretty, I, I find that pretty challenging because what he's really saying is the people around you that don't know your God are going to look at you and they're going to look at you and go, wow, look how the Lord has blessed them. That tells me that I've got a responsibility to be blessed. And I think the same is true for you. We have a responsibility to be blessed. Now, some of you are probably thinking to yourselves, a nice idea. This is, you know, nice idea sounds great, but does God really want to bless me like that? Is that really, really his heart towards me? And, you know, I want to encourage some of you that maybe, I don't know, I don't know what you're doing with your Bible notes, maybe you're sort of wondering what to look at at the moment, or you've, you've got a bit adrift or whatever, but if you're wondering what to look at in your Bible, why don't you do a study on the word favour or on the word bless? Because the Bible is absolutely littered from start to finish with God's blessing. You know, the first thing he did to Adam was to bless him. The last thing Jesus did before he was taken up to heaven was that he blessed his disciples. And everything in between, you know, is the story of God wanting to bless his people. You know, do a study on the word blessing. God loves to bless. And I think he loves us, he loves to bless us even more than we want to be blessed. I really do. I really believe that's about him. But there's a train of thought that suggests that but this kind of these kind of blessings, which I understand a bit, seems to be bringing a bit. I think in some areas of the church that suggest this. 
blessings and favour are tangible and visible only in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we see these tangible blessings, you know, healing, wealth, provision, you know, those kind of things. And that's Old Testament stuff. And in the New Testament, we're really only talking about spiritual blessings. You know, Ephesians 1, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to say this about that particular perspective. I don't really know what it means. Because I think it's totally artificial to separate and divide your life into categories of your spiritual life and your physical life or your emotional life. All of our life is spiritual if it's lived in the presence of God. There isn't such a thing as spiritual and unspiritual. And I see examples, you know, of what was Jesus doing when he was walking the earth? He was, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. Now, was that a tangible blessing? That was a tangible, visible blessing, wasn't it? What was turning the loaves and the fishes into food? That was a tangible blessing. It was a spiritual one because it was manifesting the goodness and the nature of God. But it was a tangible, spiritual blessing. God wants to bless us in all kinds of ways. He wants to bless your family. He wants to bless your workplace. He wants to bless your relationships. He wants to bless your health. He wants to bless your ministry. He wants to bless your church. He wants to bless you. That is the nature and the heart of God. Good news, the favour of God is here. Now at this point, I'm somebody, you know, you may be like me, you may not be, I'm somebody who wants to then ask the, the question, okay then, what can I do? What do I have to do? Can I attract the favour of God? Can I earn it? What's my part in all of this? Because if we're being honest, from where I stand, it looks like God seems to bless some people more than he seems to bless others. I'm just being honest, but that's my perception. Or is this just some kind of random thing that I have to accept that yes, God is a God who loves to bless, but actually it feels like God has favourites, if I'm being a little bit honest. Well, what does the Bible have to say about God and favouritism? It says, do not show favouritism, James, doesn't it? You know, favouritism is defined as being sin. And we're told in Romans that God, in Romans 2.11, God does not show favouritism. I don't know if there are any fans of Strictly Come Dancing in the house. But, yes! <laughs> what's that little phrase that Bruce, what's his name? Forsyth, that's one. He randomly says to different couples each week, doesn't he, you're my favourite. And actually, he doesn't have favourites. He loves them all. And I think the Lord's like that. And I think the Lord is saying to you this evening, you're my favourite. I think the Lord is saying to you this evening, you're my favourite. And you know the thing about the favour of a parent? You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's something that comes from a parent, from a father's heart, as part of his love, as part of the way he loves you. You're his favourite because you're you, because he made you, because he died for you, and you can't earn his favour. So, you know, complete waste of time trying to earn something that's already belongs to you. So, I, this is another little one of, you know, one of my other little um, issues, you know, in this kind of area. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, if you pray this much, or if you read your Bible, or if you make sure you, you do this, this, and this, then you'll attract the favour of God, almost as a reward. I think that's a little rubbish. Jesus lived under the favour of God. And when he died, everything that belonged to him was made available to us. That was what happened at the cross. He, he, became, we, we, he became sin for us that we might become his righteousness. So the favour of God that was on Jesus was made available to us when he died. So it's not earning favour, earning blessing, doing the right things in order to be blessed, is an Old Testament, Old Covenant concept. We receive under the New Covenant by faith, don't we? Not by works. So you are the Lord's favour, his favour is upon you. 
But hold on a minute, Hills, <clears throat> you might be thinking. I'm struggling with this because actually, if I'm being honest, this isn't my experience. It's not my experience. If what I'm facing at the moment is a sign of God's favour being upon me, then I don't know what it would be like not to have this favour on me, as it were. And maybe you've come here today and you're, you know, inspired by the title, you're inspired by the subject, because actually you, you feel that you're not really experiencing the blessings or the provision or the help or the breakthrough or the increase or whatever it is that you've been asking the Lord for, that if he would just do that for you, it would feel like his favour was on you. Well, like I said, and this is where I want to sort of go for the, for the last few minutes, we can't earn the favour of the Lord. We cannot earn favour. But we can do something about whether we are positioned, as it were, to receive it, if that makes sense. You know, we can't make it rain. But when it's raining, we can either stand outside in the rain, or we can stand under a shelter and make sure we don't get wet. There is a difference. And I believe that the Bible teaches us how we can position ourselves to receive and to, to experience the favour of God in a more um, complete, more increased way, which is what I want to uh, look at but just briefly. Now, I want to do that by looking at the story of Mary and Martha, who, as you know, had a brother called Lazarus, who rather unfortunately died. You know, we won't actually read the story, but it's in John chapter 11. But just to remind us, you know, Lazarus got sick, and what did Mary and Martha do? They, they didn't call, they didn't text Jesus, but they got a message to him somehow, saying, Lazarus has died. And like any good friend, Jesus just dropped everything he was doing, because he knew he had the power to heal him, and rushed off to sort it out. <coughs> he didn't, did he? He carried on doing what he was doing for four days, and then arrived at the scene, to discover a man who died had been put in the tomb and all his friends and all his family were totally devastated. And uh, I think, you know, I think it's a really interesting story and it's got something to say to us about favour. But have you noticed in reading the Bible and in this story, you know, in particular, it illustrates something that, you know, I really wish wasn't in the Bible. Something that, you know, I struggle with, which is God's timing. Anyone else here struggle with God's timing? I think God sometimes, you know, according to our timing, can be late. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I think if I had been married for Martha, I think the first thing I might have said to, to Jesus is, you're late. You've missed it. You know, did you not have a watch? That my 18 year old son is late for absolutely everything. How many of you here like waiting? Is anybody here that likes waiting? Waiting for God to respond? Waiting for God to act? Yeah, you know, I think it's one of my least favourite activities, you know, on earth, waiting for God. I have to say, it's not one of my favourite pastimes. Well, I've got good news and bad news about waiting. Don't know if you're a good news or a bad news person, uh, you know, what you like to hear first, but I'm going to give you the good news first. Uh, the bad news first, rather, get it out of the way. Jesus is willing to keep us waiting for certain blessings, no matter how painful it might be for us, if it will bring God more glory. Jesus is willing to keep us waiting for certain blessings, if it will bring God more glory. It was really painful for Mary and Martha to watch their brother die. They were all so upset. Jesus was moved, wasn't he, with compassion. And the text says he wept. Lazarus needed to die in this instance so the sensational resurrection could take place. And what Jesus was most interested in was the fact that God would be glorified. He does care about us. He really cares about us. But our comfort... Our comfort is not his highest priority. The glory of God is his highest priority. And he will keep us waiting if he needs to. And maybe there are some people here today that feel like you have been waiting for God to move in a particular area for some time. And I want to encourage you this evening to keep believing for whatever it is that you're asking for. But it may just be that just as in 
in this scenario, Lazarus needed to die in order for God to be glorified. Maybe God is waiting for something to die in your life before he can release the greater blessing into it that you are waiting for or hoping for or praying for. The new life that he longs to bring is always so glorious. Now Jesus could have easily healed Lazarus without going to his house, couldn't he? He could have just said, be healed from a distance. He did that in other people's scenarios. And, but God had bigger, bigger things in store. And there were tons of people that got saved or you know, saw the miracle and believed in Jesus because, it, because of what happened. But here's the good news. For those of us that are waiting on the Lord, we will not be disappointed. The blessings are on their way. And the interesting thing in this story was that Jesus responded immediately to their request for help. He said to the people that he was, oh, this isn't going to end in death. It was like the blessing was put into the river that moment. They had to wait for it. They had to wait to receive it. But the blessing was there and it was coming their way. But like I said before, um, I think the story shows up three things in particular, traps as it were, that can lure us out of you know, being in that river, standing in the river of God's blessing, standing in the rain, whatever metaphor you want to use. I think there are, there are three things in particular that can pull us away from the favour of God, as it were. And the first one is this, and I think it's particularly significant for us as women, which is, you know, interesting that this is, this is a story that illustrates it. And that is being offended. Don't get offended. Because when we get offended, we step out of the river of God's blessing and favour. If you remember, Jesus went to Nazareth once, once, and the Bible says two things about his visit. It says that people got offended, and then it said that Jesus couldn't do any miracles because of their offence. If we want to walk and in, in, or want to stand in the river where we can reach for those blessings, we need to stay unoffended, as it were. Here's Mary and Martha. They've just lost their brother. Jesus is late. He could have sorted out the whole problem. He was the guy who could have prevented the tragedy and didn't. I think that is really tough to stomach. A very close friend of mine, 34-year-old man married to, a, to a, another very close friend of mine, we've known them for years, died immediately, you know, overnight, three weeks ago. Healthy young man, nothing wrong with him. They still don't know, you know what caused his heart to stop beating. My husband was there at the, at the time, so they rushed him to hospital to try and resuscitate him. He prayed for him, you know, prayed for him to come back to life, prayed all kinds of things, and God didn't seem to answer those prayers. Here and there, a Martha, you know, they've got the physical Jesus with them, and he didn't do anything. They could have been so offended. They could have said to him as they arrived, their opening comments could have been, How could you let this happen? You know, we asked you to come and help us. Why didn't you? Why didn't you help us from where you were? How could you do this to us? It's so unfair. And I'm being, I'm being honest, but if they said that kind of thing, if that had been recorded in the script, I would have thought, yeah, that's what I would have said. I would have understood that reaction. And do you know, I think it's easy for us to get offended. Either to get offended at God, you know, what, what, what he hasn't done or what we don't understand. It's easy to get offended at other people, isn't it? Some of the things they do to us, or say to us, or say about us. Or to get offended about the things they don't do that they should do. You know, we get hurt. And it's okay to get hurt, but hurt turns very easily, very quickly, into offence. And, you know, we can, we can end up then drifting into, can't we, resentment and bitterness and going round and round in the mind, you know, arguments about what we say or, you know, what needs to happen to sort this kind of thing out. And unless we deal with offence quickly, we end up stepping out of the river. And here's why. I want to illustrate it like this. Imagine that the river is flowing up here from the throne of God. It's a river of grace, it's a river of blessing. Ezekiel describes this river flowing from the throne of God. It depicts the life of the Spirit. And it's where healing is, and where mercy is, and where all the goodness of God is that we don't deserve. Well, imagine there's another level down here called 
let's call it a level of justice. And this is where people get what they deserve. You know, in the river, people don't get what they deserve. They get the goodness and the grace of God. But down here, people get what they deserve. So, you know, you hurt me or you offend me and I retaliate or I say something back or I tell other people about what you've said or I ignore you for six months or whatever. And on this level of justice, we're concerned about what I deserve and what other people deserve. The Bible says that mercy, grace, James 2, is higher than justice. We can't live on both levels. We cannot live with one foot on, you know, in the river and one foot on the level of justice. The level of justice is where the enemy lives. The enemy wants us you know, always to get what we deserve. He puts us under condemnation. Jesus wants us to receive grace and forgiveness and mercy and healing and freedom and all the stuff we don't deserve. But we get to choose which level we live on. And we can't live on both. And offence, when we get offended, we step down to this level of justice and it all becomes about what that person did and what they deserve and what I didn't deserve. And it's forgiveness that moves us back up into the, onto the level of blessing. Secondly, <clears throat> I think the story tells us that they kept trusting, kept expecting, didn't they? Lazarus is dead. The facts tell them that it's all over. And yet, here are Mary and Martha saying, as Jesus arrives, even, you know, if you've been here, this wouldn't have happened, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. That is a really incredible statement of faith, I think, in a moment of deep, you know, despair and anguish for her. And uh, I think, you know, it's true for us, those moments where what we're experiencing somehow doesn't stack up with what God says about himself or his goodness or what he wants to do for us in his work, they, they present us with a momentous moment of choice. We get to choose in those moments, and how we choose to respond determines whether we stay in that river or we step out of it. And so we get to choose. Will we say, will we look at our circumstances and what we're going through and say, oh, well, it says this about God and it says this about me. You know, God's not listening to me, or, you know, I'm not his favourite, or I'm not worthy, or I haven't done anything to deserve this or whatever. Or will we look at God's word and see what it says about God, and see what it says about God's goodness and his favour and his love for me, and will we put our trust in his word, even in his promises, even when it doesn't look like, you know, anything is happening. That's what Mary and Martha did. It didn't look at their circumstances and let that dictate, you know, Jesus, you obviously aren't the friend we thought you were, or you obviously don't want to bless us, or you obviously you know, haven't got the power we thought you had. Or we're obviously not worthy of your favour and your friendship. That wasn't the route they chose. They chose a different route. They held on to the fact, despite the fact that nothing they could see pointed to the same thing, that he was good, that he was their friend, that he loved them, that he had power to bless them. And that if the Father had given them that power, he was going to use it for their good. Why is it so important? The Bible makes it clear that we receive favour, we receive goodness, we receive everything that God has for us in that river by faith. And therefore, what we expect to happen has an influence on what we experience. It's not the whole package, but it has an influence. Biblical hope, those who hope, those who trust, those who remain confident in the goodness of the Lord will not be disappointed. And so when we're faced with these situations, when we can feel that confidence in the promises and the goodness of God diminishing, that's when we need to take up our swords and fight. And we need to find the promises that relate to our situation. And if we don't know where to look in the Bible, we need to ask our friends and ask them to fight with us. And we need to fight, don't we, for our own sense of expectation and confidence in the goodness of God. And we need to hold on to those promises in those dark times to remain positioned to receive the blessing as it, as it flows past us in the river. And then lastly, we, we, we need to stay away from the fence. 
need to stay expectant and confident. And lastly, we need to keep listening to the voice of God, even when it doesn't make sense. Look at what happened when Jesus arrived. What did he say to Martha once he got going on releasing his blessing? He said, go and move the stone. Now, Martha's response is that I'm you know, a lovely human one. Lord, he's been there for four days. It's really going to smell terrible. Are you sure? I mean, I shouldn't say that bit, but that's what she was meaning. Do you not know there's a horrendous smell in there? It's going to be awful. Well, of course he knew that. Why did he ask her to move the stone? I mean, you know, he commands mountains, he commands fig trees, you know, he can do anything. He could have said to that stone, roll away now, and it would have done. But he told her to move the stone. I think he was testing, you know, whether in this ridiculous scenario she was going to do something that didn't make sense just because she trusted him. And what did Martha do? You know, big girl, she kept her heart free from offense. You know, she didn't have an issue with the Lord. She didn't have an issue with what he hadn't done. She kept her heart open to his goodness, trusting his promises. And so she was ready when the command came to remove the stone to go and do something utterly ridiculous. How she moved the stone is beyond me. <laughs> she must have been a really strong girl that had spent a lot of time in the gym. But she removed the stone. And so often the Lord says things to us, as it were, to test where we stand with him, to test our hearts. And they might seem ridiculous, the things that he says. But again, it's like a pathway to step into that river to take out what's in it. <clears throat> Four years ago, when, five years ago, when my husband, he was, he, uh, was a teacher, and uh, he had been ordained while he was teaching, and then moved to take this um, full-time position in the staff at Trinity um, as one of the, as the team bigger there. And uh, as we were sort of approaching leaving um, the school job, and we had accommodation in the school, we had no idea where we were going to live. We looked at the rental market in Cheltenham, and I don't know what the rental prices for a family of four or a family of six are in Leonington Spa, but in Cheltenham, it is not cheap. And there he was, you know, moving to a his salary, and of course, the sums didn't add up, and I'm not very trusting in those kind of things, so I was sort of secretly beginning to panic. And then really conveniently, we had buildings up here at church, and, uh, you know, for a building that we were just about to convert over the road, and of course, everybody was being encouraged to give. And in one meeting, uh, the vicar, Mark, made us actually sit there on the spot and ask the Lord how much we were meant to be giving to this appeal. And we went home and I said to my husband said to me, he said to me, you know, what figure did the Lord give you? And, um, you know, I, I said to him what I thought, which was, you know, 10% of our savings, which was bad enough. He said, oh, well, I think we're meant to be giving fifth. I was like, but we haven't got enough money to live anywhere. You know, we can't. It doesn't make sense. Are you sure? But he was absolutely convinced. So I had to go away and have a bit of a wrestling match with God. But you know, in the end, I gave him. I thought, well, Lord, you know, I'm going to blame him for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really say that. Um, <laughs> and so there we did. We put a portion of our savings in the pot. And I'm sitting there, you know, in the context of a, of a much bigger story, thinking, you know, this is all complete nightmare. What's happened? Anyway, two weeks later, somebody phoned us up out of the who didn't really know much about our circumstances, but said, I feel prompted by the Lord that we're meant to be um, supporting you financially uh, wherever you move to. So when you find somewhere to live, kind of, you know, get back to us, tell us how much you need, and we'll support you while you live there. How cool is that? <laughs> I mean, that is a massive great blessing flowing down the river. But you know what? There was a link between the two. The ridiculous request that the Lord, in my view, the ridiculous request that the Lord made of us, you know, in terms of giving, was somehow, and it's sort of, I don't, I, I don't know whether it was a test or not, but I, I believe it was linked to being positioned to receive the even greater blessing that was flowing our way afterwards. So we can't earn the favour of God. It is there. It is over you. It is over me because you are his child, because you are his precious daughter. And he wants you to experience and to live in more of the fullness of his blessing and his favour. But I do believe 
and he wants to encourage us this evening to, to remain if we are saved or to get positioned, to get into the right position to be able to receive and experience that blessing. You know, we have a part to play in this. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask you to stand and stretch your legs because I think sometimes it's easier to concentrate on what the Lord might want to say to you personally and specifically <coughs> while you're standing. See what's in that river flowing towards you. Ask the Lord to show you what it is that's in the river that he wants you to see. to walk towards it. Love in the center of his grace, in the center of his mercy. 
considered in the centuries of Kaivan.
And I believe that by coming and standing, as it were, again, prophetically in this place where his river of grace can wash over you, he wants to cleanse you afresh of whatever it is that is making you feel dirty. He wants to deal with that this evening. So I'm going to invite the band back up here to play quietly. And we have a ministry team and some people that are willing to pray. And can I encourage you, if you know that you need to, to do something in particular, as it were, prophetically, you need to come and stand, as it were, in the river where God can deal with or touch you or bless you in a way that you know he's wanting to do this evening. To come either to the front here or to the other side there, as it were. And we're going to minister to you and allow God to minister to us in these next few moments.